today on Ag News Daily. If you're gonna kind of jump, make sure you there, you know, you see something to jump onto type of thing. It's really about having that network and having a couple, one or two areas of expertise that you really want to focus in on. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Friday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined today in person by Dawson Schmidt. Dawson, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I'm getting pumped for the weekend, planning on going to the state fair and looking at some pretty mild weather compared to what we've had. And even this morning, I stepped out of the house and I'm like, man, I'm actually kind of chilled and almost thought about putting on a sweatshirt at least for the morning. So I don't know. I think we're going to be looking at a good one this weekend. You are correct. For those of our Iowa listeners, we might we might have a few less listeners this week because the Iowa State Fair kicked off as of yesterday. It's going to be going on for two weeks, and I know the Missouri State Fair is also going on right now. Probably quite a few other states are gearing up for their state fairs if they haven't had them already. So yeah, it's going to be a nice weekend for this Iowa State Fair. Dawson, what's your favorite state fair food to eat? I can't say I have a good range to go off of because I never really went to the state fair too often. I kind of had this discussion with Ashton yesterday, but uh, pretty much I would have to say the cookies because that's <laughs> about the only thing that I've really had from the state fair. But I don't know, maybe this year I'd be looking to have trying a little bit more different things. Yeah, so for those of our listeners that are not from Iowa, there is a famous cookie made at the Iowa State Fair. I think the company's name is Barksdale, I believe. Does that sound right, Dawson? I could not tell you. Okay, I think that's the right name. So it's a a company that makes cookies, and you can either buy these cookies. They're about the size of like a silver dollar, a little bit bigger probably than that. So they fit in the the palm of your hand. You can either buy these cookies in a styrofoam cup, and there's probably mm, 10, 12 cookies, and they pile them on, so you really have to carry them. Or you can get a bucket of cookies. So we're not talking a five-gallon bucket. We're talking, you know, the size of a bucket of like maybe a pint is what I would approximate that bucket to be. But it's a big bucket of cookies and you can't fit the lid on them because they just pile them on top and they're nice and warm. You can, I usually get a glass of milk to go along with mine, but they're some pretty dang good chocolate chip cookies. And it's always up to you on if you want to make it a family size pack or maybe a personal <laughs> size pack, depending on how you're that's feeling true, that That's true. That's true. Yeah, I've seen some people eat a whole bucket of cookies by themselves and I don't want to even guess how many calories are in that bucket of cookies. But, uh, you know, speaking of weather, Dawson, let's jump into some news here because we are seeing some pretty severe storms going across the Midwest. We saw that really play out yesterday. You know, we saw some severe storms starting in Wisconsin, heading eastward. There are about 300 plus severe storms, to be more accurate. I'm reading Eric Snodgrass's daily newsletter here, and he said that those 300 plus severe storms are actually now moving further south and also east. Uh, So we're going to continue to see some of that going on there. Also expecting drier conditions in the upper Midwest and Western Corn Belt throughout the Canadian Prairie. And so we are going to continue to watch and see how all of that plays out. Um, And then he also talks a little bit about 2021 severe winds compared to the last 15 years. And we are seeing some more historical data come out there, but tornado reports overall are down about 20 percent across the nation so i thought that was pretty interesting i really haven't seen we haven't seen a whole lot here in central iowa except for maybe one or two that have happened here over the past you know a couple of months so overall that's kind of what he's expecting to see here but we are expecting also to see some heat advisories expire for the central midwest and so that makes it a nice time to go to the state fair 
For sure. And yeah, you're right. We haven't seen anything around here, but I've definitely been talking to my parents, probably not as much as I usually do, but my dad said that they got hit pretty hard in northeastern Iowa. And so they were seeing a lot of power outages and trying to get things figured out yet. So hopefully things are doing all right up there. But I'm going to kick off today's talk with what I got with um, oil and ethanol. I'm for those that have not heard, the Biden administration came out this week talking about how they're calling on OPEC to actually increase more oil production on top of the 400,000 barrels per day that was already agreed upon by the cartel. That comes after the Biden administration has kind of fueled back on promises for biofuels as well as kind of skipping biofuels and maybe going straight to electric here in the next uh, couple of decades. but. Recently, the Biden administration got pushback from fuel associations. Renewable fuel leaders actually came out in pushback of the Biden administration's recent announcement saying that they are disappointed and strongly disagree with the administration's position to increase crude oil production by OPEC rather than sourcing things more in the U.S., saying that calling on OPEC goes against the administration's objectives regarding clean energy development, climate change resilience, and domestic job creation and energy security. The letter also wrote that rather than hoping that Iraq, Iran, Venezuela, and other OPEC countries will provide the cure for escalating gas prices in the U.S., they urged that the administration should pursue a real immediate solution to higher pump prices by increased production and use of low-carbon renewable fuels like ethanol. Delaney a few months ago, we spoke to uh, a Re Renewable Fuels Association spokesperson about how the Biden administration was hopefully going to roll back on RFS waivers and look more, look more towards biofuels here looking in the future. But recently, it seems like the RFA is really not approving of the Biden administration's newest uh, updates. Yeah, I would agree with that sentiment. And I think there's still a lot of question marks around what's going to happen here moving forward. So it's definitely a, a story that we're going to have to continue to watch because we really still don't have a lot of answers. Uh, but playing right into that here as you look at the Renewable Fuels Association and trying to meet these really ambitious goals that the nation has as far as doing better to impact the environment. This is switching tracks just a little bit here, but we've got the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Convention going on right now, of course, in Nashville. Disappointed I'm not there this year, but hopefully folks are having fun that are. But they also rolled out on Thursday afternoon at their convention some of their latest sustainability goals, which seem at, at first blush maybe pretty aggressive, and that's to be net zero as far as greenhouse gas production in less than 20 years. So their organization's past president said while he was unveiling their goals on Thursday that they need to do a better job at reaching this climate neutrality goal, which is based in part on modeling conducted by Jason Sawyer, an associate professor at the King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management at Texas A&M. And so basically this 2040 target is based on an annual methane reduction of about one and a half percent, which according to Sawyer is feasible. Uh, basically reducing methane emissions. And he said methane can go to zero without obviating beef production totally. And so the elimination of methane is not the goal, just managing it is the goal. And so they didn't talk a whole lot about what to do to achieve this goal, but he said technology like feed additives and improving genetics can mitigate ethane, methane emissions. 
and he also told reporters that his modeling is limited to certain steps in the production process. So they've got some pretty ambitious goals, it sounds like, there as a whole. Um, but the dairy industry is also working towards this net zero production, and it's going to be interesting to see how things shift and change, because obviously this one has been to some extent largely consumer and government driven. Well, Delaney, that actually was one of my stories as well, and definitely something that I'm watching as well, because it seems like along with every other company trying to come out with new goals to you know, push more towards sustainability, I was really surprised that the cattle industry came out with that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am as well. Dawson, the other big thing that we haven't really touched, we maybe have mentioned it, but the Pro Farmer Crop Tour starts on Monday. So we'll see those numbers start to come out there. You know, we saw a big reduction in yield made in yesterday's WASDE report. We're going to start to see some more concrete data from those folks going on the tour to say, is this enough or is this too much? So we'll start to see some of those numbers roll out as well. For sure. And just one last thing that I'm watching today is another update on the $103 billion package that is now allotted towards the USDA that will be spent over the next decade. So 11 re Republican members of the Senate Agricultural Committee came out asking Chairman Debbie Snabenow on Thursday to open up the decision-making process towards allotting that $135 billion to different programs. Stabenow has said that Democrats would apportion the money by themselves because Republicans uniformly voted against the Senate budget resolution that would make the money available. In the letter, Republicans said that the committee should call witnesses from across the country to public hearings that would include farmers, ranchers, foresters, uh, rural communities, and also those participating in, in nutrition programs. As a matter of senatorial courtesy and fundamental fairness, all the committee members should have an opportunity to discuss and amend the committee's reconciliation package. So that came from the letter. So the budget, budget resolution says that should spend be spent in six areas ranging from child nutrition and debt relief and so Republicans are just trying to make sure that more people are having a voice in that despite voting against the bill. All right well we'll continue to see how that shakes out. It doesn't sound like it's gonna be smooth sailing on that package but uh, you never know I guess. Surprises can always happen. That's true especially <laughs> in government. Uh, Dawson, uh, I just have one other quick piece of news here, and this is not coming as a surprise, but China purchased some additional U.S. soy purchases today, and that was reported by the USDA. China bought another 328,000 metric tons of U.S. soybeans heading to China, or excuse me, bought in total 328,000 metric tons of soybeans heading to China for the week of July 30th through August 5th. We saw export sales also reported as of yesterday, another 132,000 tons of U.S. soy, as well as a sale of 198,000 tons headed to unknown destinations. But we're also seeing Mexico continue to buy. I don't remember, Dawson, you might be able to know this. Was there a sale today headed to Mexico? Not today, but there was one definitely a couple days ago. Yeah, there's been a lot. There's been an, a good uptick here in market participation, which is great. That's definitely adding to some support to the markets as we head into the final home stretch of the growing season here today. But Dawson, what do you say we chat markets before we get to today's 30 under 30 interview? I say let's get right into them. Fantastic. Well, we certainly saw soybeans have a turnaround here heading into the weekend. A little surprised here seeing such explosive movement to the upside. I kind of honestly expected a little bit of more calm trade as traders headed into the weekend. Usually we see folks shore up their positions. We did not see that today in the soybean pits, but we did in the corn market today. 
September corn up a penny and a quarter to close at 5.68 and a quarter. The Dece down a quarter of a cent to close at 5.73 on the nose. In the soybean pits today, the September contract adding 26 and a quarter cent to close at 13.73 and a quarter. The November up 24 cents to end the day at 13.65. Chicago wheat higher on the day. The September contract closing $7.61 and a half cents, up 8 cents on the day. The Dece adding 9 and a half cents to close at 7.74 and a quarter. Hopping over into the livestock pits today, we saw weakness as the October live cattle contract closed 37.5 cents lower to end at 128.12.5. The Dece down 12.5 cents to close at 133.82.5. And, and in feeder cattle, we had some mixed trade today as the September contract closed 47.5 cents lower to end at 163.07.5. The October up 15 cents to close at 165.77.5. And in lean hogs today, we saw just slight strength in the October contract, adding a nickel to close at 86.52.5. The Dece up 27.5 cents to close at 80.17.5. Lastly, wrapping things up here with the Class 3 dairy milk futures. The September contract up 68 cents today to close at 17.60. The October up 52 cents to close at 17.78. Dawson, without further ado, let's turn it over to Ashton's conversation with today's 30 Under 30 interview, Sarah. Well, for today's 30 Under 30, we are talking to Sarah Hewlett, who is an independent consultant in the food waste and higher education realm. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. Yeah, thank you, Ashton. Thanks for having me here. So before we get started really talking about, you know, food waste systems and, and things of that nature, I want to talk a little bit about your background. So you grew up in upstate New York. You were a 4-H and FFA kid. So why don't you give us a little bit of a taste on what it was like really growing up in that area? Yeah, thanks, Ashen. I grew up in Greene County, which is Hudson Valley of upstate New York on a small diversified livestock and forages farm. It was more of a hobby farm. Um, everyone in the family had off-farm jobs also, but certainly grew up in the world of agriculture and did 4-H and FFA from a very young age, and those were very uh, influential experiences for me. And um, from there, I went to Cornell University um, to study agricultural sciences and plant science, where I really fell in love with plants and doing research and working with plants. So you mentioned research there, Sarah, and it's something that you really took into your adult life as well. What kind of research are you particularly interested in? Or are there any projects that you can tell us about that you've really favored that you've done in the past? Sure, Ashton. Um, so yes, I have a master's degree in horticultural biology from Cornell. And um, with that, my goal was to work in kind of the space of applied plant research where you're working with growers and with production agriculture and just figuring out the best way to produce plants and cropping systems sustainably, safely, and um, just creating uh, kind of the, the most food for the best you know, the best bang and also kind of working closely and um, thoughtfully with our ecosystems and making sure our cropping systems are um, productive and healthy. I had worked for the Cornell Reduced Tillage 
research team um, where we would work on trying to increase organic matter and make um, cropping systems more productive by reducing tillage. Um, and I have since kind of moving to California, which I moved to California eight years ago to be here in Watsonville, California, in the kind of berry hub here on California's central coast. We grow a lot of berries. We grow a lot of fresh vegetables here. We're just outside the Salinas Valley in a little smaller valley called the Pajaro Valley. Um, I've done some projects here on um, utilizing uh, irrigation water and nitrogen uh, in sustainable ways um, to really feed the crop when it needs it and to actually actively kind of measure the crop's water and nitrogen needs throughout the season um, rather than taking kind of a wider picture approach um, of kind of a, a big pre-plant and maybe mid-season um, applications of fertilizer. And um, I've done at Cabrillo College where I'm, I am uh, consulting with Cabrillo again now, we did a series of LED, so um, light emitting diodes. So those are the lights that you see um, both in our homes and um, but also kind of moving more into the greenhouse space on how plants respond to different light levels and different lengths of lighting. So, you know, do they want the light all at once for a certain number of hours or would they like it um, like a little bit more dim, but for a longer day length? Um, and so we've done a lot of lighting research there at Cabrillo with the students in the horticulture program and in the agriculture technology program. Um, and that's really exciting kind of new innovative stuff that is um, really applicable to the indoor agriculture space. Man, moving from New York to California, you must have experienced quite the culture shock, Sarah. Oh, yeah, it is definitely very different. And um, <laughs> I would say it probably took me at least a year and a half, maybe two years before I, I really felt like, oh, right, I live here, not just I'm on some unusual extended vacation. <laughs> well, Sarah, I want to talk a little bit more about what you do in your current position. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, um, so I recently left uh, Full Harvest where I was the grower innovation manager just a few months ago. I felt like it was time to uh, spread my wings and I had a lot of side projects that I was trying to do simultaneously. Um, so now I am working as an independent consultant in both the on-farm food loss area, which is what I focused on at Full Harvest and in higher education. Um, so I'm working on a bunch of different projects, um, but probably my biggest focus right now is several things for Cabrillo College, which is a, a innovative community college in Santa Cruz County, California, who's really the, their proximity to um, the Central Coast big ag production area. They're trying to really kind of capitalize on that and, and create a, be uh, a better and more comprehensive agriculture program. So I'm writing an agriculture business degree for them right now. And we're creating some uh, berry production and mushroom cultivation classes also. So um, that is probably the bulk of my work, you know, the last couple months. But that's one of the beautiful things about being a consultant is I work on different things at different times. Um, and I really like that. I love um, having a bunch of different projects to kind of keep me busy and always uh, have something new to, to work on. Um, so that's been, it's been very fun. Um, you know, being a consultant is a totally different 
it's just a totally different world than than kind of you know salaried world where you put all your energy into one one role so i'm still learning the ropes if anyone has any advice i'm i'd love to take it <laughs> and sarah i i really love that you're doing all these different things it sounds very interesting and i want to talk a little bit more about you know you said that you thought that it was time that you spread your wings. And I'm sure many people maybe feel like they're in the same boat, that they want to do something by themselves and kind of leave the, you know, maybe quote unquote corporate kind of world. So where did you kind of gain the confidence to really go out on your own and do that? What was the nudge that you really needed? Mm, that's a great question, Ashton. So the nudge um, I needed um, to kind of make that choice to go independent um, you know, I don't know that it's ever one thing, but a couple of the things that helped are I had projects already lined up. So I do think that is kind of key. Like um, if you're going to kind of jump, make sure you there, you know, you see something to jump onto type of thing. So I was in a situation where I had been asked, oh, if I had time to work on a couple things. And um, so kind of knowing that you know, when I left um, my previous salary job that there were, I had projects lined up. I think that's probably the most important thing um, before you make the jump. And it's really about having that network and having a couple, one or two areas of expertise that you really wanna focus in on. I think that's been um, maybe a challenge for me is that I do tend to like to do a little bit of everything. So, um, really kind of honing in on that messaging and what I'm gonna specialize in. Um, and so for me, I've decided those, the two things are on-farm food loss. So quantifying what's still left in your field at the end of a harvest cycle and helping you um, create new products from that. And then um, also I have had experience in the higher ed, particularly the community college, kind of creating degrees, creating new programs um, we're focusing on how do we help students from underrepresented backgrounds in the science fields get into those fields and, and, and be successful and have degree attainment equity in them. And so those are the two areas where I really feel like I can help contribute good things and I have some expertise and that is and you know it is it's different than you know what I was doing five years ago and my true kind of like plant biology background, but that's kind of where my career has taken me. And that's where I like both of those areas. So that's where I'm focusing on now. And Sarah, you, you mentioned that you're still kind of learning the ropes, but where do you see yourself once you have learned the ropes and you kind of get the hang of things, where do you see yourself in the next five years? Do you think you're still going to be an independent consultant or maybe have, you know, your own consulting firm? Do you have any ideas for what the future may look like? Yeah, um, it's always fun. What does the crystal ball say today? Um, so my goal, Ashton, would be I would like to actually be able to farm a little bit more. So um, I don't know how I will, but I would like to get my hands on a couple acres and do some farming. Be, um, you know, right now I have, you know, just I'm on backyard scale kind of thing. And how, if that actually becomes a career, I'm doubtful. But that that is really what I'd want to see happening in my life in the next five years is having a couple acres to to grow some some crops on, some specialty crops on. And um, I love both the central coast of California and I love upstate New York. So it'd probably be in 
one of those two locations. Well, that is a awesome goal to have, Sarah, and one that I think is probably pretty attainable for someone as goal-oriented as yourself. But for our listeners who maybe want to reach out to you to talk about some kind of consulting or want to know a little bit more about your story, where can they find you at online? Yeah, um, probably an email is best, and my email is h-u-l-i-c-k dot s at gmail.com. Um, so you can check me out there or find me on LinkedIn, and I'd love to hear from all of you. Awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you once more for joining us today, and congratulations for being part of the 30 Under 30 cohort. Thank you, Ashton. Have a wonderful day. Well, again, a big thank you there to Sarah Hulick. I think she might be one of our final 30 under 30s. So this segment is unfortunately starting to wrap up here, but it's been fun to talk to other folks that are in agriculture under the age of 30 and see what they're doing in the ag industry. For sure. I haven't really been sitting in on too many of those, but they're definitely worth a listen. And I enjoy hearing stories of people that are you know, a little bit older than me, but not so much succeed in agriculture. That's true. Dawson, you've got plenty of time to make the 30 under 30 list, so (laughs) you should be good there. But folks, as Dawson mentioned, we do have those airing every Friday. So if you missed any of those past episodes, find us at agnewsdaily.com or find us online at agnewsdaily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Dawson, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 